today on Ag News Daily. Our intention with those events is to, exactly like our mission statement says, bridge the communication gap between farm and fork. So we bring together experts, whether it's farmers and ranchers, associations, veterinarians. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And also a happy birthday to co-host Ashton Carr. Thank you, Delaney. I told you earlier this week I was really excited for my birthday. However, I am not excited to be turning 22. I just feel like now that I'm not 21, I just feel like I'm old and need to get my life together, basically. I mean, 22 or 21 is really kind of the last fun birthday you get to have, to be honest. I don't kind of boring after there. That? that just like <laughs> makes my day just even worse. I'm going to have a meltdown. I already know it. I mean, you're just putting thoughts into my head, Delaney. Well, sorry. Sorry to break the disappointment <laughs> to you. It's all good, I guess. Um, I'll forgive you only if you have some good news to share today. Well, I don't know about good news, but I've got the WASD report that was released earlier today, and that caused some excitement in the commodity markets. But overall, really, it was kind of a blah report. Um, initially, following the release of the port report, it pushed corn about seven cents higher, soybeans had a quick reaction lower and finished lower on the day. We saw the report kind of neutral to somewhat bullish for corn. They had uh, greater feed and residual use as well as greater use for ethanol and a bullish outlook when it came to ending stocks. They cut those as well as increased exports just slightly. Uh, soybeans were, exports were also increased. Uh, Crush-wise, residual use-wise, we saw that continuing to push up. And um, ending stocks really just remained unchanged. So that's why soybeans didn't see more excitement. And then wheat really was the one that had more of the winter or the winter winner. We was more of the winner, if you want to say that, and closed up much higher on the day. But we did see um, ending stocks lowered there pretty significantly. So, like I said, not really a super exciting report. We did see commodities uh, react pretty quickly initially, and corn finished out pretty much neutral, soybeans down pretty hard, and wheat up pretty hard today. So, Well, Delaney, my first story that I want to share today is more of a topic of discussion rather than a news segment, but I definitely thought that it was pretty interesting. I mean, we've been talking a lot about COVID-19 vaccines, the search for a vaccine for African swine fever. So this just felt fitting, I guess, but not talking about vaccines for animals or humans. I am talking about crop vaccines. Now, unlike the human immune system, plants are stuck with the genes that they have. They can't be adapted um, to fight off new threats or anything like that. Resistance genes are passed down from parent plants to offspring plants. The more genetic diversity there is, the healthier that plants are, because there will be more variants of the resistance genes that can respond to a wide variety of threats. So people have been talking a little bit about crop vaccines, and I believe Monsanto has worked a little bit with this and a few other companies as well. But if plants can fight off infections better, less pesticides can be used and potential problems like 
poisoning the good predators of pests and pest developing resistance to chemical treatments can be avoided. So many people are saying that these crop vaccines could be the answer to fighting off quickly evolving pathogens without actually genetically engineering the crop itself. So I definitely think that this is a really cool topic of discussion, and I wish I had found this before our newsletter this week because the article is quite interesting and it goes into some real scientific stuff that I don't think I am really geared to talk about, um, but it's really interesting. I mean, it talks about how using crop vaccines, and I don't know exactly what all would go into that, um, but it talks about how it can help us with, you know, solving the problem of feeding 9 billion people by 2050, a little bit more about food security and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just kind of fitting because it also talks about the COVID-19 pandemic and what that's done to crops and foods. So I thought it was pretty interesting. So I wanted to give you that little tidbit of information today. Absolutely. That might be a good Tech Tuesday interview for the future too, Ashton. I'm going to have to get on that, sounds like. (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking weather, like we've mentioned a little bit before on the podcast with Eric Snodgrass coming up, but he had an interesting analysis of weather coming up here for the next two to three days. And there are some pretty severe thunderstorms and other types of storms, maybe even tornadoes or hurricane, not a hurricane, um, tropical storm that could sweep through quite a bit of the southeast portion of the United States all the way up into Kansas and Missouri. And so we could see some risk here between anywhere from 6 p.m. tonight all the way through Sunday morning to see fast moving winds, damaging winds, potential tornadoes, obviously rain, hail, etc. But uh, we're going to see some pretty low pressure couple low pressure systems heading into that area as well as into the great Plains and the Great Lakes and Upper Midwest here over the next few days as well. But as far as the western portion of the United States goes, they are still pinched with the drought and aren't expected to see any rain anytime soon in that portion of the country. So we'll get at Eric's analysis a little bit more in depth on Wednesday. Is that what day we're talking to Eric Ash? And I've already forgotten. Um, I'm right there with you. sounds like neither of us are really on top of it this Friday. But yes, we are talking to him next week. So hopefully we can get some answers on what we can expect, especially since we are going into planting season, which we talked a little bit before about that earlier this week. We certainly did. Well, Delaney, I have some interesting news. I don't know if I would call it good just yet because I'm interested to see if this really does play out. But it's been suggested that the U.S. economy could grow at its fastest rate in nearly four decades, with the farm sector sharing in the energetic recovery from the pandemic. Now, this rate that they're saying that the economy could grow by is 7%, which doesn't sound you know, super exciting. It's just 7%. But like I said, this is the fastest rate of expansion since 1984. The USDA has forecast record agriculture exports of $157 billion this year, up 16% from 2020. As we are starting to kind of come out of the pandemic, people are getting more antsy, getting kind of cabin fever. They're wanting to go and do things as we're coming out to towards the end of the pandemic. 
U.S. farm income is expected to be 20% higher than its 10-year average, with producers pocketing more revenue from crops and livestock and relying less on federal payments. I think now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic and folks are kind of getting back on their feet, they might be using less of that federal payment. But I was kind of surprised to hear that, to say the least. But I think that it's interesting. I mean, there's you know, good things happening in the ethanol industry that I've talked about earlier this week. We're seeing President Biden's new infrastructure package kind of roll out and get moving. But we're also seeing things like you said, the drought that are also going to be hurting the ag industry a little bit. So I'm excited and, you know, kind of anxious to see if we are actually going to be hitting this point and whether or not we're going to increase with this economy like that fast. I just, I think that that's I don't know, like I've said before, like we keep saying that we're not going to recover until 2024 or something like that. But economists are kind of saying different things. So I'm kind of half and half here, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And really the end headline here is nobody can truly predict the economy. I mean, we, of course, have models to help us predict that, but there could be a lot of other factors that go into that. But uh, switching tracks here just a little bit, talking about the the Biden administration, they have just released a new fiscal budget for 2022 that includes a bump for agriculture here, some $3.8 billion increase. But that bump is heavily directed toward reducing greenhouse gas emissions and making farms and forests more resilient to climate change. They said that They've got some pretty aggressive goals here as far as reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so a lot of this funding should go to figuring out how to address that for agriculture, as well as hopefully putting together some sort of carbon bank or a way to help farmers address that, you know, with compensation, of course. Um, Another $400 million was earmarked toward helping rural electric providers transition to clean energy and some other big chunks of money were allocated here and there. Ashton, I know you've talked about getting broadband spread across the entire United States. So I think that was part of this package as well. And uh, going over, trying to get more medical attention for rural America as well, which is definitely an important factor that a lot of folks in rural America have to deal with. So It certainly is, Delaney. And, you know, I've heard quite a few stories just being out here in West Texas. There's a lot of small towns that are nowhere, you know, near a city that's capable of helping someone if they are to have a farm accident or or anything like that. I mean, Lubbock is known as the hub city because we're the the biggest city basically in in West Texas. And a lot of these small towns are, you know, quite a a ways away from, from Lubbock or from Amarillo or any other, you know, town that can help with you know, having a hospital or anything like that, if you were to have an accident on the farm. And so I think that that's a good point to make is rural healthcare is definitely a, a big issue. And I think that definitely plays into the topic of infrastructure. But I just want to talk about one more thing this afternoon. And Wednesday, we talked about the increase in fertilizer prices. And I just kind of want to, I guess, clarify or make this addition that this isn't just something I guess that we're seeing here in the US because the Indian government has told fertilizer producers that they cannot make immediate price increases. According to the junior minister that is responsible for chemicals and fertilizers over in India, 
Fertilizer companies this week raised prices by more than a third after potash and phosphate prices jumped in the global market. And I can't remember if we kind of talked about the global market on Wednesday or not, but I thought that this was interesting and certainly timely since this was definitely a topic that we talked about this week. Absolutely, Ashton. It certainly is a timely topic, but so are the markets. What do you say we talk markets before we get to today's AgGrad 30 Under 30 segment? Let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, we saw corn finish pretty much flat on the day after a quick reaction to the YZ report. Soybeans down hard today and wheat up. Kicking things off here in the May corn contract, down just two and a half cents to close at 577 and a quarter. The Deese up a penny and three quarters to close at 496 and a half. Soybeans pulled back today. The May contract shedding 12 and a quarter cent to close at 1403. The November down 10 cents to close at 1263 and a quarter. Chicago wheat today up 10 cents in the May contract to close at 638 and three quarters. The July up 10 cents to close at 640 and a half. And to Taking a look at the livestock markets today, we saw red across the screen as the April live cattle contract shed 72.5 cents to close at 123.42. The June down $2.45 to close at 122.57 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the April contract shed $2.37.5 cents to close at 144.75. The May down $1.97.5 to close at 149.62 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the April contract unchanged to close at 103.47 and a half. The May up 95 cents to close at 106.37 and a half. And wrapping up with our class three dairy milk futures. April up two cents today to close at 17.65. The May up two cents as well to close at 19.42. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Hannah thompson Weeman. For today's 30 Under 30 interview, we are talking to Hannah Thompson-Weeman, who is the Vice President of Strategic Engagement for the Animal Ag Alliance. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So before we kind of dive in to what you're doing with Animal Ag Alliance and all of that fun stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background in agriculture? I grew up in Maryland uh, and my immediate family was not directly involved in production agriculture. There were deep agricultural roots on both sides of my family. My grandfather was an ag teacher, uh, but most of the kind of active farms were unfortunately gone by the time my generation came around. Uh, But uh, I did get involved in agriculture. My immediate family had a small hobby farm, horses, chickens, the occasional sheep or goat. And then when I turned eight and was old enough to join 4-H, our close family friends that had a dairy farm gifted me a brown Swiss heifer. uh, And that was really the end of that and the start of that for me. I was very involved in 4-H and FFA, showing dairy, public speaking, dairy judging, and all of those great opportunities led me to study agricultural communication at The Ohio State University. I got my undergrad and master's both in the ag communications, ag education field from Ohio State. My first role after grad school was in marketing and PR for Farm Credit Mid-America. So I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and our territory was Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee. 
but then in 2014, I made the move back east, back to Maryland. I now live on the eastern shore, uh, and I've worked in my role in communications and strategic engagement with the Animal Agriculture Alliance ever since then. So I've been here with the Alliance for a little over six years now. Hannah, that's uh, quite the fun background there to hear your story, how you got involved in agriculture. But talk to us a little bit more about the education advocacy component of what you do, because that's the uh, category, I suppose you could say, that you were nominated for this year's 30 Under 30 cohort. You were part of the uh, advocacy and education section of the nominations. The role of the Animal Agriculture Alliance is to bridge the communication gap between farm and fork. So everything we do is about communicating accurate science-based information about animal agriculture to key audiences. And my role as the director of or vice president of strategic engagement is to manage all of our external outreach efforts. So all of our work to connect with key influencers as a small team, the Alliance is a nonprofit and we have five full-time staff members we describe our approach as influencing the influencers. So we aren't going after the end consumer. That's a huge audience, an expensive and difficult audience to reach. So instead, what our organization does is works to identify the individuals, companies, organizations that are very influential within their communities, within their customers, whoever their audience might look like when it comes to what people hear and think about food, farming, and agriculture. So for us at the Alliance, some of those key audiences are restaurant, retail, and food service brands, dietitians, and the media. Uh, and our role is to bring together everyone in animal agriculture so we can speak with the United Voice when we reach out to those audiences to talk about key issues that are relevant to the animal agriculture community. For us, that's primarily animal welfare. So how are animals raised? How are they treated? What kind of uh, programs and guidelines are in place when it comes to animal welfare? responsible antibiotic use, and then lastly, sustainable nutrition. So what is the environmental impact of animal agriculture, as well as what role do we play in a healthy, balanced diet? So Hannah, in the 30 Under 30 magazine, it also says that you have been doing lunch and learn webinar events since 2017. So can you just kind of dive into that a little bit more on what you talk about and how you really developed that idea? Absolutely. So those lunch and learn events that the Alliance hosts are primarily for restaurant and retail brands. And certainly over the past year, as with everybody else, we've taken all of our efforts virtual. So we've hosted all of those events as webinars, which the silver lining of that is it has broadened our reach and allowed folks from not just here in the D.C. area, but all across the country to join into the conversation. Our intention with those events is to, exactly like our mission statement says, bridge the communication gap between farm and fork. So we bring together experts, whether it's farmers and ranchers, associations, veterinarians from the animal agriculture community to speak with the fork side, the restaurant, retail, and food service brands and associations, and help them with the questions that we know they're getting from their customers and any kind of pressure they might be receiving from outside organizations to adopt certain policies. So we've addressed hot topics like animal welfare, what are the guidelines in place, 
efforts specifically uh, in each industry, sustainable nutrition, again, what efforts is the animal agriculture community taking to uh, significantly decrease our environmental impact and continuously improved, and then responsible antibiotic use. So what uh, measures are in place to ensure that we're using antibiotics responsibly, things like withdrawal times, uh, veterinary oversight, and all of those types of topics. So with those events, uh, again, our goal is to make sure we're allowing an opportunity for those connections from farm to fork and for the leaders in the animal agriculture community to connect with the restaurant, retail, and food service audiences who are interacting every day with our consumers and how they are obtaining their food. Hannah, I think roles like yours are going to be extremely important. They already are, but even as we continue to see more folks, you know, moving away from rural settings into urban settings and having a, uh, not understanding, I suppose you could say the challenges that we go through in animal agriculture and all of agriculture really. But as you look to the future, what topics or areas do you think are going to be ha- going to have to be ones that we continue to develop the conversation around? Because for a long time, it's been antibiotics, it's been, um, you know, using sustainable practices, but what do you see as the future? I think sustainability is only going to become more central to the conversation. Uh, I mentioned animal welfare. That's really been the Alliance's main focus since we got started back in 1987. Um, But more and more recently, we're spending almost the majority of our time on topics relating to sustainability, specifically the environmental impact of animal agriculture, including uh, greenhouse gas emissions and others that fall under that topic area. So I think that is going to be somewhere that we need to invest a significant amount of our time, a significant amount of our efforts. And then to go along with that, over the past year with the COVID-19 pandemic that we have all certainly been following closely, there have been some adversarial voices, activist organizations who are just opposed to animal agriculture in general, who've really latched on to the pandemic as an opportunity to further spread myths and misinformation about animal agriculture, including claiming that uh, animal agriculture agriculture, specifically large-scale modern production, is somehow responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic and will cause future pandemics and public health issues, despite the fact that those claims really have no backing in science or reality, quite frankly. Uh, So I think that's an area that we are going to need to focus on, uh, certainly now as we're settling into what looks like the new normal. uh, Everyone is, is thinking of how we can protect ourselves, how we can prevent things like this from happening again. Uh, And unfortunately, there are those adversarial voices who are saying that we need to go vegan in order to do that. Uh, So that's something we're going to be need to prepare to talk about, which is um, what ways are we safeguarding public health? What efforts are in place to control zoonotic diseases, maintain animal health to prevent any type of disease outbreaks and issues? Uh, That's going to be something we need to focus on into the future. Well, Hannah, it has certainly been great to get to talk to you and, you know, not only talk about your experiences, but, you know, talking about what is going on in the world of animal agriculture right now. So we appreciate your insight, but thank you once more for coming on today and congratulations for being a part of this year's 30 Under 30 cohort. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again there to Hannah for coming on and talking to us 
for our 30 under 30 this week. It was certainly interesting. I've said it once and I'll say it again. I really enjoy talking to these 30 under 30 cohort members. It's quite interesting because there's so many different facets of the 30 under 30 cohort. I mean, there's communication and advocacy or education and advocacy, and then there's entrepreneurship and all sorts of stuff. So it's really interesting to get different points of view and just hear the different stories that they have to offer. It certainly is, Ashton. We'll continue that discussion next Friday. But until then, if you are missing any episodes, want to go back and check them out, be sure to do so at agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.